Hello everyone, my name is Kendra Arsenault and this is Imago Gay. Spectrum Magazine, SDA Kinship, along with yours truly, have come together to bring you the latest on queer theology and a minority perspective on faith. So it's Women's Month. Happy Women's Month, everyone. Today, I'm going to be talking with spiritual care provider Roxanne on feelings and feeling triggered. Our last episode on was King David bisexual definitely hit a few triggers. One thing that has come up for me regarding my bisexuality is the concept of passing. As a biracial, bisexual person, my racial and sexual identities are often beige, muted in color, sometimes too subtle to trigger a more volatile reaction. The only time I've been called the N-word was when I was visiting a group of friends down in Georgia. As a biracial person in California, never. The same goes for my sexuality. Passing as a straight, heteronormative person is easier when you're bi. The desires for love, for relationship, for family, for just being yourself, doesn't force you to come out of the closet because there's still a part of you that is accepted by the dominant culture, your straight side. If you can just lean into that part of yourself a little more, you'll be just fine. This is why statistically, bisexual people don't come out until later on in life. There simply isn't a need. They can pass. So what do we do about all these feelings? What happens when conversations about sexuality and identity are just too triggering? Well, that's what this episode is about. Today, we are talking about feelings. Hmm. We are talking about... What are those? I just know that I'm triggered. That's all I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know I am triggered. And I think a lot of listeners will be too, right? We are triggered. As a church especially, we are triggered around LGBTQ issues. And so I want to talk about feelings today because what do we do? You know, Mr. Rogers, he has this famous kind of speech that he gave before Congress, and he talks about this letter that he got from this, like, five-year-old. And it starts with, what do I do with the mad that I feel? When I feel so mad, I could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong, and nothing you do seems very right, what do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong. So his program was like, you know, how do we begin to have mature conversations and talk about the drama that is there in a haircut for a little kid? And how do we help them process through all their big emotions? And so that was revolutionary for his time. (laughs) 40 years later. Still revolutionary. (laughs) Still revolutionary. So we're going to talk about feelings. I love this topic. Can I say I'm excited to talk about feelings? I don't think, here's the thing. Growing up in the church, Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to reference the text that everybody referenced with me. I think it's Jeremiah 17, verse 9, Mm -hmm. saying that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? And that verse was repeated to me 
at several different points of my life, basically when my emotional experience didn't align with the way that I wanted to show up in life or how I wanted to behave, um, you know, I felt jealous and I wasn't supposed to feel jealous. Right. <laughs> and so... Or you're angry and you're not supposed to feel angry. Right. And I think that growing up, I mean, I feel very light years removed from thinking that way. But growing up, it really taught me to invalidate my emotional experience. And how I felt about something wasn't a source of knowledge that should be incorporated into my decision making. Right. Or how I felt about something wasn't a part of my common sense or logic. How I felt about something was kind of this irrational space. <laughs> that just for me goes to show how heteromasculinity has taken over the religious space. What, <laughs> <laughs> what a turn. I have big feelings about this. No, because I'm serious. What, okay. what pastor, it, like what male pastor, is that ever going to fly with their wives? To be like, your feelings are irrational, darling. <laughs> like, only yeah. meet me in the logical space, please. Like, yeah, and even the the making it a gender thing, right? Like, as if emotions and your sensorial experiences are feminine. Or masculine, absolutely. Within patriarchal religion, <laughs> right? we have had a dominant view that Logic is the only safe way we can come to communion or conclusions because the emotional sphere is too volatile to be trusted. Yeah, and and that's where like I feel the biggest injury to how we come to see God and experience God because we don't experience Him just in a very cognitive, theoretical way. We experience Him through relationship where emotions occur. And I think that to invalidate your emotional experience is to cut off a source of knowledge. Let's bring this all back down to relationship. Because you don't go into relationship like, let's talk about how we disagree on this particular political <laughs> item. Right? Like, you, you can't lead into relationship with those types of heady topics. And it doesn't matter how low stakes it is. If right. we were to approach relationship. Can, can I say that I have approached some relationships this way? <laughs> I'm like, so what's your view on women's ordination? Oh, <laughs> next. <laughs> so are you a feminist? <laughs> are you pro-woe? <laughs> we, just, we just found out that that's a term. That's an acronym. I did not know that women's ordination was, was woe and being pro-woe. I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That sticks. <laughs> Are you pro woe? I am so pro woe. I like it. I <laughs> love it. Right? So anyway, maybe I'm just behind the times. Um, we're you and me both. And so maybe there are some issues where like the pivotal, you know, I'm not going to start a romantic relationship with somebody who's not pro-woe. <laughs> there are certain things you have to come to the standards to. Um, Such a catchy term. It's so hard to move away from. No. Um. <laughs> no, but yeah, exactly. We don't relate to other people based on how they think or, or what their belief system is, even though that's a big part of it, I think we invite ourselves to connect with somebody with more than just, what are the facts? 
How do you wake up? Oh, you also like banana bread? Great. Right. <laughs> no, it's it's how you vibe with somebody. It's how you feel around them. Are they safe? Are they interesting? So much goes into relationship and to reduce it to just this kind of rational experience and remove your emotional experience from it. I mean, I don't even know how that is biblical anyways because right. I, I understand that we're not to base our judgments on pure emotion, that's okay. But to ignore emotion just leaves it so that there's no integrity of being, like to compartmentalize Mm. your soul as in these individual parts and that some can be ignored and you can still present in your fullness of self, I think is not all that theologically sound, right? Like we believe that we're made of mind, body, and spirit, and yet... Our sensorial and emotional experience are not to be trusted sources of information. Right. Only the mind is. <laughs> As though the mind were not a faculty that is subjective. Right. Right? Like we are living in a human experience. There's okay. no such thing as like pure empirical like interpretation that the mind has come to that's more pure than any other sense. Yeah, exactly. Talk about any systemic issue and you'll realize you can't devise that we all have bias and bias is not comprised of just reason. Let's get to being triggered. Mm -hmm. Why are we triggered about LGBTQ issues? One, I think most people see it as a salvific issue, right? It's an issue of sin and salvation, and there are huge stakes, right? Life or death, eternal life and death. So especially in religious spaces, there's a lot to say about that um, because some people say, well, if you don't tell people that this is wrong, then you're going to be culpable for that sin. I think the emotion behind that would be fear, right? Yeah, shunning somebody out of your life to teach them a lesson Because otherwise their soul might be lost for eternity is not exactly stemming from your most creative and collective space. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, one thing we talked about on another previous portion of this podcast that was recorded and maybe stitched in at some point (laughs) (laughs) um, had to do with the fact that there are a lot of things when it comes to relationship that can be triggering. And depending on how intimate that relationship is, it becomes a bigger deal. So for example, romantic relationships, they require a greater number of kind of similarities to be in that relationship or at least similar value systems, right? Because you guys are in close proximity, you're living under one roof. Okay, do you take a shower every day? Do you brush your teeth regularly? How's your laundry? What are your eating habits? What's your exercise routine? Uh, like all of those things that have to do with be, with living in close proximity with somebody. Those are spaces that you're going to have greater tension if there is a difference in belief, right? If you have a vegan married to meat and potatoes, right? I, I, I think you make a good point about those who are in our inner circle, have a bigger voice in 
and kind of outlining what is necessary for this intimate relationship to carry. To work, exactly. There's been tons of breakups during COVID. But I think when it comes to church, a voluntary organization, or any other type of organization, that there could be a greater degree of diversity because these are not people that are eating every meal with you seven days a week. People who share home with you can and should have a different expectation from you than those who share a common space that's not as intimate as a home, like a work setting or a church setting, that there are levels and degrees and that the degree of intimacy also determines the relevance of certain issues or the need for commonality. Because I would argue that we don't have to think exactly the same or believe exactly the same to have relationship. 100%. Right? But knowing that there are degrees of intimacy, right, or levels of estrangement in all relationships, certain relationships are better off or easier off when there's enough commonality. And other relationships don't require the same degree of commonality to function. Right, exactly. So we're going to role play here in a second because I think it would be interesting to role play like a one side versus the other side. But before we do that, like let's name what are the emotions? Like let's talk about what are some things that people get triggered? What are what are some feelings when we talk about LGBTQ issues? One might be disgust. Yeah. That's a core emotion, very real. Another I would add sadness, so there's a sense of grief or loss when somebody you know is of the LGBTQ community, and all of a sudden, all the ideas that you had about what their life might be like, how you would be involved in their life, um, you know, would would you be a part of their marriage ceremony? Would you be a part of their children's lives? All those things might change if all of a sudden they turn out to have a relationship with somebody of their same gender and you no longer feel like you can participate or engage with them in all the ways that you had imagined. So I think there's a real sense of grief and loss. There, I think that's a great point. Grief, loss. Anger. Okay, explore that. Why might there be anger? I think anger is a beautiful emotion. Anger is a good messenger. I think that God experienced anger. So... I think sometimes when people experience anger, it comes from a good place, right? Of wanting to protect or being really jealous for God, for what is right, right? I think anger can fuel a lot of courage, social justice issues. I think some people experience anger because they see something as precious and they don't want somebody to mess with it. I think that's a, a great point. I'm thinking also of like feeling overwhelmed. This is such a loaded topic that, especially if you're from a marginalized community already, you're thinking, oh, now I have another community that I have to learn the history of and now uh, be an advocate in. Like, depending on where you sit already within society, you might be carrying 
a load. You might be dealing with racism and sexism and classism. And then to be like, oh, now I'm going to sign up for a sexual minority as well. (laughs) And it's like, why am I putting this extra burden upon myself to fight this battle that I have no tools to fight with? Yeah. And overwhelmed in the sense of, well, I have a high view of scripture. How do I even begin to tease out, you know, am I interpreting this literally? Am I interpreting this in a more metaphorical sense? Am I interpreting this do I, do I have all the tools to come to my own conclusions or do I have to borrow my conclusions from who I consider are experts? And why do I consider them experts? Do I really trust everything that they say? And it just becomes this right. really overwhelming exercise where it's easier to just not deal with it. And to have to open up Pandora's box, basically. Right. And be like, wow. So feeling overwhelmed. One, I'm always going to go back to this core emotion, I think I relate to it incredibly, is fear. I wish I was not a fear-based person, but I think I I am in some ways a fear-based person. One of those is, I think, and this is my theory, I do believe that people who are on the lower economic status, I believe they really do rely on God for so much. And if you're living kind of with a low income not a lot of means, if you see God as like the source of your employment, the source of your financial well-being, the source of your health, you don't want to do anything to jeopardize the one person you have in your corner. So to say, I value this relationship. This relationship is literally providing me my daily bread. Um, I do not want to challenge this in any way. I don't have the financial freedom to even begin to ask God these questions because I'm afraid if I challenge him, I'm going to make him upset. I'm going to do something to displease God or, or whatever your relationship is to, maybe there's somebody listening to this and it's not necessarily God, but it's a higher power. Like whatever we do to disrupt that relationship, is it going to bring negative consequences in a way that I cannot bear at this point? Right. Yeah. And that is actually a very real experience I don't think it gets talked about enough, but that reality is heightened for somebody who is scrapping pennies and really seeing the hand of God and their survival. I know that the moments that I've been relying on God really heavily for anything, it it has produced a relationship of dependency that is hard to differentiate from a relationship of love. Right. And they're conflated often. And it's hard to know, you know, if I didn't depend in this way, would I still be as connected and in love with God as I am in this moment? I have thankfully gone through enough therapy and self, yeah. <laughs> self-awareness exercises to, to know what drives relationship in my life. But it's very real um, when mm. you are dependent on God. And that's a big motivator for a relationship. Oh, absolutely. Or you're dependent upon somebody in your family that might be anti-LGBTQ, right? And I think that it goes back to, okay, well, why do I feel this way about God? Maybe it's because I don't have a view that He would be patient with me as I discover the process, or He would not welcome a challenge, or that if I were to open up that conversation, I would start seeing kind of retribution in our life. And this is the thing, like, I think 
even though cognitively you go to the seminary, you learn a lot of things about God and cognitively you understand, okay, God is not punitive in this way. There are these images of God as self-sacrificing, long-suffering, gracious, but in the experience of life, there's still that question of, is what's happening to me right now a result of sin, right? Yes. If whenever th- something bad happens in somebody's life, you automatically think, did I upset the big guy upstairs? All right, everyone. We're halfway through the program, and we are taking a quick break. So let's just take a deep breath. Okay, let's get back into it. So one thing that I wanted to also talk about is this concept of spiritual bypassing. You know, as we talk about feelings and being triggered, I want to talk about this specific aspect. And one thing that I found interesting is I want to read the definition of spiritual bypassing. For some of you, this might be a new term, but it's basically, it's a self defense mechanism. And this definition here says it protects us from things that seem too painful to deal with, but this protection comes at a cost. And the guy who coined this term, um, he says this about it. He says, I saw this happening in the Buddhist community I was in and also in myself. Although most of us were sincerely trying to work on ourselves, I noticed a widespread tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. When we are spiritually bypassing, we also, sorry, we often use the goal of awakening or liberation to try and rise above the raw and messy side of our humanness. We may also use our notion of absolute truth to disparage or dismiss relative human needs, feelings, psychological problems, relational difficulties, and developmental deficits. I see this as a hazard of the spiritual path. So I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about spiritual bypassing and maybe give us an example so we can have that kind of grounded. Yeah, so spiritual bypassing is something that I come across very often, where people kind of transcend their physical needs or emotions or um, just basic human experiences through their spirituality, through their spiritual lens. So what that might look like, let's say a Christian is, you know, facing a deep, deep loss. Let's say it's a mother and her baby or her child will not make it past two months. And she says something like, well, you know, God won't give us more than we can handle. I put it all in God's hands, and God is good all the time. It's not that these statements are false or that they're wrong or they're coming from a bad place. It's that they're using these statements as a way of avoiding talking about how they actually feel. And a lot of people don't actually feel the permission to be angry at God or or, or maybe it's not, it's not about feelings at all, but maybe thinking your parts are too small, too fragile to take it on, and it's easier 
to just focus on God and your religion and your faith than it is to actually deal and cope with what's going on in your body and your feelings and your head and your heart. So I hear this a lot when I hear people say that, you know, they were meant to endure pain. So, you know, in my own kind of experience of going through uh, a divorce, I think a big part of my spiritual bypassing through the abuse was basically saying, well, you know, in life, there's a lot of suffering. And, you know, like that verse Paul says, like, well, who knows uh, if wife by your godly way of being that you are going to win over your husband and basically you're going to transform somebody else through your kind of humble suffering through the situation. And for me, I feel like that's a massive spiritual bypass because it tells you to ignore what's happening to your body. It tells you to ignore what's happening to your emotional health and your mental health for the sake of like possible gain in the future of heaven, of having a greater reward, whatever that looks like. Yes, that's exactly what it looks like. And I think with homosexuality, you know, you can get into this kind of cycle of thinking that, well, it doesn't matter if I'm hurting. It doesn't matter if this is what I want. It doesn't matter. I'm not even going to pay attention to what's coming up for me. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is serving God and doing what God wants. Well, it's like, yes, that is important and valid. But what's also valid is how you feel. And what's not okay is to use religion kind of in the same way they use maybe more dysfunctional coping mechanisms, right? I think that there's a way that we can bring that kind of dysfunction and toxicity through the guise of religion, right, and spirituality. Anything that keeps you from really looking within yourself and acknowledging what is, you know, what you're feeling, what you need, what you want, those are human, that's part of human nature. And to ignore it won't make you any more virtuous, right? Even if the goal is virtuous. So the goal is to please God. But if in the process of trying to please God, you're dishonoring yourself to the point where you are neglecting how you feel, then that is spiritual bypassing because your spirituality is supposed to be a resource for you to overcome things, not to shut you down, to make you ignore parts of yourself, and to really turn a very toxic corner in terms of self-love and self-care. It, it makes me think of, you know, how much maybe capitalism has influenced our Western Christianity. You know, this idea that the output, that the product, that the bottom line, right, is more important than the human that is making that output, right? And I don't know how much that has kind of influenced the way that we kind of ignore ourselves. I know we've been doing this for a very long time. Um, but I just think it's interesting because I think through my own personal growth, there was a time where I was like, God, whatever you want from me, whatever you want me to do, whoever you want me to be, I will be that. I'm, I'm willing to lay down my life. And I really did. I think a lot of people who go to seminary are some at some level, making a decision to say, I take on the burden of poverty or whatever it is, wherever you send me, um, I'm going to do that. And never getting an answer, 
right? Like never getting like the letter falling from the sky with like, these are the orders and this. And even I was frustrated for a time too. I was like, God, you know me better than I know me. And so why can't you just tell me what to do? Because I know that that's going to be my highest joy and my highest love and the, the best possible thing that I could do. And never getting that message, I think, was very, very frustrating for me because I prayed for it. I wanted it. I was willing. And then I heard a sermon by T.D. Jakes where he said, so many people are praying to God for a table or a chair or whatever, but God makes trees, you know, that he gives you the raw resources. And then he says, make whatever you want. And that went so against this belief that no, actually, you know, it's not about making what I want. It's about making what God wants. And he has to tell me. And it's like, it was, it was a really vicious cycle. But I think kind of coming to this place now that creating with God and being in this cooperative relationship really does take there to be a person behind my will. Like I have to at some level be in the driver's seat, making decisions and making choices. Yeah. I'm often puzzled by why we would assume that a God who has done so much to preserve our free will and our character, our individuality, right? That this is the one thing we take to heaven with us or that sticks with us would also be so interested in helping us become void of ourselves, right? And I think that the beliefs around spiritual bypassing are often very noble and credible and inspired by scripture in the case of Christianity. But then the way people apply them to their circumstances often comes across to me as self-neglect or avoidance or just a very dysfunctional coping mechanism to really not deal with what's happening. And I think it's a shame because God can only, you know, intervene in our lives to the extent that we allow Him to. And if we're putting up a face or a front with God, that gives very little room um, for Him to actually meet us where we are at. So, do you want to be the triggered person, the anti LGBTQ, pro-LGBTQ, what side do would you like to play for this game? I think I want to be the LGBTQ person. Okay. As we play this game, we're going to model, hopefully, ways we can get triggered and ways that we can maybe talk about our emotions in a productive way and still maintain relationship. Yeah. Maybe let's not model ways in which we can... Get triggered. <laughs> <laughs> Throw my cup. <laughs> Start yelling at the top of my lungs. Um, okay, so so I heard that you are a lesbian. Right. Would you like to to tell me about that? I mean, that's really different. Um I want to understand, and right now I think I'm feeling a little, one, shocked. It's something I haven't heard before, and you were a pastor at the seminary. I feel like 
Maybe you should know better. I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm feeling. I just know that it's pretty taboo in our church. I just want to add a little disclaimer here. Okay. (laughs) For any person who is of the LGBTQ community, if somebody comes at you in this kind of way, you don't owe anybody an explanation of your sexuality or how you came to your identity to discover your identity or how you came out. And so I think that there are proper boundaries that you can set with people that come out. You don't have to answer the question, are you practicing? (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to answer any questions that you don't feel safe. Yeah. Don't talk to the police without a lawyer. We all know this. (laughs) (laughs) But okay, I'm going to entertain this conversation. So, yeah, I went to seminary and... Learned a lot about both God and myself in that process. So, yeah, I think I just am now at a place where I can come to terms with my sexuality in a more open way. But it's, from what I understand, this is a sin we see in Revelation. The last days is going to be like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and... This is just really a shock for me. I feel like I've known you for some time, and I don't know why you wouldn't have disclosed this to me earlier. We have been close. You have been in my house. Like, I'm feeling hurt that I kind of had this relationship with you, and you didn't share this part of yourself that I I don't think I'm in agreement with. I, I, I hear that the impact on you after me coming out is that you feel hurt and shocked and bewildered by this reality. I feel a little betrayed. And that you feel betrayed. And certainly it was not my intention. I think that when I was going through the motions and really trying to align myself with God and my truth and By that, I'm thinking about my theology just as much. It was very hard for me to include anybody else in that conversation when I felt like I was very aware of your opinion on whether it was right or wrong or kind of what the theological arguments are against that identity and the practice of that identity. I think for me... I wonder if there's a way that even knowing this about me, you would be interested having a relationship. You know, I I don't know at this point. I feel like I, I, I admire your struggle, but I, I feel like, you know, you know the Bible more than I do. And, and I'm reading the Bible and it's pretty plain that God does not approve of, of gay relationships. And so for me, I'm feeling really a lot of fear about your own safety. Like what's your spirituality like right now? And are you in relationship with, with the true God? Like, are you, are you possessed? Are you in relationship with some other spirituality that you're not really aware of? Like, I'm actually really worried for you right now because I, I pray I have a relationship with God, and I'm telling you this because I love you. I'm telling you this because I'm afraid for you, and I I don't want to see 
you make these really big decisions and choices in a way that are that's harmful to who you are and your salvation. I hear you. And I think what I appreciate about what you're saying is that you love me enough to want to see me in heaven. And I want to reciprocate. I, I don't want to enter into a theological discussion with you because I think we do stand on different ends. I think you believe it is wrong and an abomination, a sin, and I don't see it that way. And I think that we could go into a debate about it, or you can choose to accept who I am and the fact that this is just how I'm going to live from now on. And I guess my question is, would you still be in relationship to me? I mean, I I have to pray about it. And I think you are a wonderful person. I think you're bright, you're smart. But I also feel like you're on dangerous ground right now. And I don't want to give my weight of my friendship and make you think that it's okay. Because if I do that, I think I'm going to be liable for your spirituality. Because if, if I just let you think that this is okay and, and something happens to you, and how am I not guilty before God? I, I think that if it is impossible for you to be my friend... I just want to understand because I don't understand how you can come to a different conclusion. I feel like the scriptures are pretty plain. I appreciate that. I think we're arriving at this place where I am becoming more and more uncomfortable trying to engage the theological aspect. For me, that cannot be a point of discussion every time I have friendship with you. Every time that we hang out, I don't want to be in a place where I am defending my beliefs, defending my relationships, defending my sexuality. I I don't want to be put in the hot seat every single time that we hang out. And so I know that if it's impossible for you to engage with me without feeling like you either have to reprimand that aspect or... Well, I just don't want you like putting it in my face. So if you, you know, I I don't, if you're dating or whatever, I can't know that stuff about you because I feel like I don't want to give a place for that in my space because I don't, I don't know if it's right. Yeah. I don't know how to hide parts of my life. I wouldn't know what you would consider in your face. I think I would want to talk to you as I would talk to any of my other friends about what's going on in my life, you know, without monitoring kind of what would be too much for you to handle. But I understand that if it comes to the point where you feel uncomfortable hearing about details of my life, what I'm up to, if it becomes something that's unbearable for you or that poses a conflict, if you feel like internally by having friendship with me, you're condoning something, then I understand. I am not wanting to force. I I want a relationship with you. I want you in my life. I just don't know if I want to know everything about what's going on. It's like 
gay related because I don't know. I, I don't think that that's right. Okay. Well, I don't know how to separate myself into different compartments that are palatable for you. Now I'm getting triggered. <laughs> now I'm getting triggered. Um, I don't know how to compartmentalize myself in different ways that might be more comfortable for you to be around me. So I think that what we're coming to is I am going to live my life. I am going to hold my beliefs and I'm going to live very openly about them. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I understand that it might be too hard for you to be a part of my life in the way that I am showing up. But just as I'm not demanding of you to censor parts of your life and to show up here in a very strict or kind of compartmentalized way, I am saying I am not going to allow my friends to demand that of me. I can't be in friendship like that, at least not intimate friendship, right? Like maybe we could be cordial <laughs> and, 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 you know, and we can, right? We, we can do that. We, we can see each other. We can say hello. We can check but in. But we used to be such good friends and I, and I don't know. So I just need some time to think about it and to pray about it because I'm in a space where I just can't wrap my head around why you would think that's okay. And so I, I, I want to be in relationship with you. I just, I just don't know if I can be. I don't know if I'm like allowed to be. I think now that I've given you my warning from God, <laughs> <laughs> you know where I stand. And so just keep it like gay light for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I think stepping away from this conversation now. Yeah. Um, keeping it gay light. I, I, I like that because <laughs> I think that's what eventually will happen, right? I will increasingly feel more and more uncomfortable and like my my interactions with this person will be more superficial. So I think she's determining the depth of the relationship by saying, I don't accept this. I don't even want to hear about it. This is something I don't want to engage in. And it's such a core part of who I am and how I'm showing up and what's relevant in my life that you will get a very censored, light, vanilla version of me because you won't get to hear the things that I'm passionate about, the things that are alivening for me. And, and I think that the way that we navigated that conversation was a really good example, but there's many ways in which that could go. And I would, I, I would actually have other people advocate stronger boundaries <laughs> than the ones I was communicating. <laughs> um, it just depends on the kind of relationship and how meaningful this person is to you. Right. What this person was really communicating was like a lot of fear, not sure if they can enter into a relationship, feeling as though they have the biblical interpretation, they have the moral high ground. They're trying to sanitize their life from what they would perceive as sin. So there's a lot of like self-preservation, self-protection, a lot of like, you know, insulating themselves from somebody else's reality in a way that they feel like they're going to be tainted if yeah. they know too much about your life. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're entitled to do that. Sure. Just like anybody's entitled to 
insulate themselves. Create the world that you want to create, but it's not opening the doors for actual relationship. We create the worlds that we want. We create the depth of relationships that we want. We create the kind of relationships that we want. And my Oscar winning presentation (laughs) (laughs) was creating the type of relationship that says, I want cordiality with you. I don't want deep, meaningful, intimate connection. I want safe, distanced, metered interactions that are just very blatantly within the safe zone. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, it it really feels like a lot of what I would expect to find in the church. Mm. A lot of cordial <laughs> relationships. I, I don't I don't get the love part, you know, in that I think there are a lot of buts. That get in the way from actually me feeling like you do want a relationship with me. It doesn't really sound like you do. It sounds like you only want a part of me. You don't want the fullness of who I am and what I'm experiencing. You don't want to engage with that. So it doesn't actually break down the way that we think it does when we say, love the sinner, hate the sin. I think what I'm trying to say is you cannot be repulsed by something that somebody does and separate their identity from it. Right. You can't be disgusted by who somebody is and then have deep, meaningful relationship with them. <laughs> yeah. It, it just feels too, it too painful, right? Too painful. So hopefully that's a model of like, we are going to get triggered. This, this is a triggering topic. There are a lot of emotions around this topic. And there are some emotions that there are ways of going about this conversation that can lead to alienation. And then there are ways to approach this conversation that can lead uh, to greater relationship. So there has to be a better way to go about this conversation. It just makes me wonder if what the church can only offer is cordiality with the LGBTQ community, what's the next step for those who identify as LGBTQ and as Seventh-day Adventist? That's not a question that I can fully answer today. But it's a question that I'm leaving you all to consider. I think first steps might be sign up for something like SDA Kinship. Get involved in the LGBTQ community and begin finding pockets of fellowship and friendship where you can be yourself. Relationships are often a difficult space to navigate, but they can be navigated. So I want to encourage you all to get in touch with your feelings this week whether that's writing in a journal or talking with your therapist or, or grabbing coffee with a couple of friends. Find pockets of safe spaces and refuge in people who are invested in relationship. Because as long as we prioritize relationship, we can get through this together. Amago Gay is a podcast where we explore queer questions and a colorful God. In addition to conversations, I'd love to receive questions and letters from you. Many of you have shared your own journey navigating queer theology, relationships, and church participation. So you can send in your personal stories or curious questions to me at Kendra R. Snow with an X on Instagram or Facebook. You can follow our sponsors today at Spectrum Magazine or SDA Kinship. And be sure to sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. This episode was created and engineered by yours truly and sponsored by Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship 
International. 